Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 6, then 9 and 10 and 12. Let us listen for the word of God. For you have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, Turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You swept them away, they are like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even then their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So teach us to count our days, that we may gain a wise heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading for the day comes from the book of John, verses 19 through 27. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed... I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize you, excuse me, I baptize with water. Among you stands one, one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. The word of the Lord. Tell me if you've ever seen something like this on TV. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank so many people. Thank you, Megan, Lily, Mom, Dad, Renee, Grandma, Nima, Papa, Lee McReynolds, Betty Brooks, Shyoko Shimazaki, Kilburn, Bruce Hall, Jeff Carter, John Wussman. Thank you to the makers of Skittles and spicy Asian food. And most importantly, thank you, God, for blessing me with these gifts to share with others. Whoa. So at this point, you're probably wondering, what is he doing? Well, celebrity culture is on my mind, and one aspect of this culture that comes to my mind is when a celebrity accepts an award and they begin naming a bunch of people that were influential in their life. Come to think of it, I can't do that. Come to think of it, I think there are some people that we should recognize today as they give an incredible amount of time and talent to the music ministry of this church. So if you are part of one of these ensembles, or I mention you by name, please stand and let's save our applause towards the end. 
Thank you to those who are part of men's chorus and chamber singers, chancel choir, the chancel quartet, the handbell choir. If there's anyone out here too, I might not be able to see you. The handbell choir and our director, Joe Christian, members of the First Pres Brass, Bruce Blank and the men who play with him, and all of the other fabulous musicians that give so much of their time and talent to the spiritual life of the church, including our very own organist and associate director of music, Chris Urban. Thank you all. And if you have any interest in checking out any of these groups, please reach out to me or someone from one of these groups, and we'll make sure we get you fitted within the right group. <clears throat> now, let's get this out of the way right now. My focus on these passages from John has to do with its seemingly ancient depiction of celebrity culture, not its historic authenticity. John the Baptist is such a big deal that the elite Jews of Jerusalem are sending priests and Levites to question him. They're trying to connect him to their own time and place. They don't know who he is. They want to understand what his intentions as a public figure might be. And this is exactly what happens in our own modern culture. When a new celebrity comes around, the media pounces on them. They interview them. They write op-eds. They spin information so that you click on their website article more than others. They're trying to compare this celebrity to others who have come before them so that they might gain a better understanding of who they are. <clears throat> because the media wants to be the authority concerning the new celebrity in the public eye. In the passages from John, the priests and Levites are berating John the Baptist. They want to know who he is. They're excited to see if he responds that he's Elijah. That would have made a great headline back then. That would have kept them employed for months. John answers, I am not. They ask him if he's a prophet. You know, the token second best answer they could get. It's generic, but it's profound of a prophet. But John answers, no. Instead, John speaks of someone who will come after him. Someone whose sandals he would be unworthy to touch. He is, of course, talking about... Jesus. Yes. Jesus, yes. The ultimate successor. Isn't that someone that we would all hope would succeed us? That someone like Jesus would come along and continue the work that we've started? Someone who would benefit from all that has gone on prior and who could add their own life experience and additional understanding of the world. I'm not trying to romanticize celebrities, believe me. <clears throat> I am, however, fascinated with people who are so popular in our modern world that every action they exhibit ends up influencing so many people. This particular phenomenon is most fascinating to me when, that, when said celebrity would be working... <clears throat> um, dip, 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 lost my place. When celebrity is working to break into new territories, artistically speaking. Although you do not have to have an artistic proclivity to be a celebrity, just turn on the TV and we'll find that out real quick. Um, I am most fascinated by celebrities who are involved in the arts. 
And possibly the most influential celebrity to date in my life has been David Bowie. And I never realized or understood the depth of this influence until his passing in January. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, David Bowie? (laughs) Trust me, sometimes the notion is even baffling to me. To start, let me give you a quick breakdown of why he was so influential. It starts with a name. David Bowie was born David Jones. And when he started to market himself as a solo artist, he was using this smooth, bright, and sunshiny name, Davy Jones. And then the monkeys became more popular than he did. So did he get to use this? No. And I kid you not, the next name that he tried was Tom Jones. That's not going to work either. The last name of Bowie entered the picture as a tribute to Jim Bowie, the American frontiersman who Bowie had a great admiration for. So finally, David Bowie. The reason why this was so influential to me is that even before he tried to make a name for himself as an artist, he literally had to make a name for himself. And the journey this set him on was a psychological understanding of who David Bowie was. I'm going to throw some pictures up here. I'm not sure how great quality they are. So from top left to bottom right, you have early 70s David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, the Thin White Duke, Berlin Bowie, and the David Bowie who will haunt me for the rest of my dreams from the 1980s in Labyrinth. You have the Tin Machine Bowie, and the final picture is from him trying to revive a punk rock sound in the mid-90s constantly reinventing himself. And finally, we land on the classic David Bowie image of him in a suit and tie. And this was taken two days before his death when he released his final album, working till the end. Perhaps his wife, Iman, finally told him to make up his mind later in life. How many times can someone reinvent themselves? How many times can someone decide, you know, I'm not quite who I want to be or where I want to be. Until reflecting upon Bowie's death, I had no idea how deeply and subconsciously I was taking in all of this information. It was a humble reminder that music is my life and that I am constantly searching for the next sound, the next area of music that will help me understand more about myself, and the next areas of music where I can influence others in a positive way. I began reflecting on my upbringing in the church, how my childhood pastor introduced me to Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, and Johnny Cash at such an early age through his sermons. And so I just assumed that rock and roll in the church was something that sort of coexisted, you know, friendly with each other. You can imagine how dumbfounded I was. The older I got, I encountered the negative disconnect between rock and roll and the church. Because for me, rock and roll was talking about real life, real issues, the real struggles that people go through day to day. Struggles like identity, conformity, nonconformity. It was this yearning for reconciling this disconnect, not only between faith itself, but between genres of music that pushed me towards music ministry. And how lucky am I that calling towards music ministry led me here. 
It's a rare thing to be part of a church that places such a high emphasis on music ministry. To have a congregation that recognizes and supports it with positive energy and generous finances. And even rarer is to have a large number of dedicated volunteers, both as chorus members and instrumentalists, that give so much of their time and talent. The day after Bowie passed away, his wife Iman posted this on social media. Sometimes you will never know the true value of a moment until it becomes a memory. You ever have those moments where you've heard something a thousand times, but all it takes is that one time for it to click in your head and you feel like you were given a gift? You felt like you have a deeper understanding. That's what happened to me when I read this quote. I started to think of loved ones that I've lost or people living that I just miss, people that I haven't seen in a long time, my first pet, first time I ever felt accomplished, first time I ever felt disappointment, and then the first time I recovered from disappointment. The passing of time, our ability to self-reflect, our ability to be present here today, but also transport our consciousness into the past. Five years, 10 years, 25 years, 50 years, 60 years, 75 years, 80 years, 90 years. We have people in this congregation that are over 90 years old. It's our ability to reflect upon time that helps us become the kind of people we want to be no matter where we are in life. We've all heard phrases that deal with the idea that you can be stuck in the past. But I think this phrase, you will never know the true value of a moment until it becomes a memory, it gives greater depth to being stuck. It's not so much about being stuck. It's about being able to move back and forth with a sense of fluidity, to be able to travel to your past and reconcile the things that are hard to deal with. We need to reconcile these seemingly negative experiences in our past so that we can live in our present. And the other beautiful side to this idea is that we can dream. And I mean daydreaming. The stuff at night, that's pretty much out of your hands. But daydreaming, a conscious effort to imagine what the future might become. Essentially, we use all of our experiences and all that we can imagine to create the present. Everything you know and everything you want, they help define your present. At a certain point in David Boy's life, it wasn't just about pushing the boundaries of genre and sound to the point where that was all there was at the expense of the relationships with people around him. That present-day living didn't balance the past with the future that he was dreaming of. It became just as important to find consistency and calm among his relationships in the midst of being such an artistic pioneer. Balance. Reconciliation. Honesty. The honesty that lets you know that you can be the best at what you do. But if you are walking that path alone, 
What's the point? The years of our lives mean very little without the positive relationships that we cultivate. Psalm 90 talks about God sweeping away the years of our life as if they were a dream. As if the years of our life are like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the evening, it fades and withers. But in the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. And this is so profound to me because it reminds us that we need to approach each and every day without the baggage of the days prior. It reminds us that we are not stuck. We have the ability to learn from the past and be better. We have the ability to live our days dreaming, dreaming about a better future in addition to searching through our past to make sense about the time that has passed, the experiences that we've already had. Those memories may remain, but we have the ability to control their influence. So I ask you, will our past experiences define us so much that they might prevent us from creating new experiences that might be even more impactful? Because this goes both ways. We, we can have a positive experience early on in life and try to recreate it for the rest of our lives, not knowing that if we just live in the present we might actually create a new time and a new experience that might be even more impactful. Our encounters with, with one another, whether we're participating as a member of the congregation or as a musician, those encounters allow us to know each other better through scripture, through sermon, through music, this fellowship, this thing called church. That's what David Bowie did for me. And I didn't even know this person. I can play the degrees of separation game and surprisingly be only four degrees removed, but there are some big separations in that game of connective tissue. His music spoke to me. It helped me understand who I am, and in that way, it makes me feel like I knew him. Have you ever had that experience with a celebrity or just someone that you don't even know and something about their life or their work strikes you in such a way that you feel connected to them. Someone you don't even know. When I offer music, I hope to help others understand who they are so that in turn they might understand me better. Isn't that part of the reason why we come to church? To take part in things that are created whether it be scripture, sermon, or music, and we trace that energy back through the earthly creators to one of a celestial origin because we yearn to know God. And in turn, God yearns for us to know each other. It's, we've had some examples from previous sermons of these cyclical things. This is one of them. We yearn to know God. God yearns for us to know one another. How do we do that? By interacting with one another. What a concept. God yearns for us to place a high value on the moments that we spend with all people in our lives because you never know when those moments will only live on as memories. God yearns for us to pass on what we have learned so that when we're gone, someone will come up and take up our mantle. 
so that even our moments, hundreds, thousands of years from now, they can live on as memories. In the evening, it fades and withers, but in the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. At night, we take our thoughts, our daydreamings, to bed with us in the hope that when we wake up, we'll find them again, we'll chase them again. Are we living in the past? Are we living too much in the future? That's a struggle. The day after David Bowie's wife, Iman, posted the first quote about moments and memories, she posted this quote. The struggle is real, and so is God. And it's a reminder to me that all of this struggling, this balancing, this reconciliation of the two, like that, helps, that helps us know God just a little bit more. So I ask you, can you find balance within that struggle? Can you balance both the past and the future to find your present? My hope is that you will because you can. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.